Question. Does the Word of God have legs and feet? If not, why does Paul tell the Thessalonian saints to pray that the Word of God may run swiftly? Edward McKendry Bounds, August 15th, 1835 through August 24th, 1913. Better known as E.M. Bounds was an American attorney, author, and clergy member. His works on prayer are renowned. I have probably about eight of his books on my shelf that I've read, and uh, he This prolific writer on prayer stated, Every preacher who does not make prayer a mighty factor in his own life and ministry is weak as a factor in God's work and is powerless to protect God's cause in this world. Not only did the Apostle Paul make prayer a vital component of his ministry, but also solicited the supplications of the saints for his outreach to others. Turn with me, please, to Second Thessalonians chapter 3. And as you're flipping there, two questions for you to consider today. Number one, specifically, how should you pray for spiritual leaders? Your pastors, your missionaries, how should you pray for them? Number two, what should you trust the Lord to accomplish with the saints? Here we are, Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Let me read verses 1 through 5. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Thank you, Heavenly Father. We have uh, enjoyed our journey together from first, now the second Thessalonians, and ask that the sweet Spirit of God who indwells each believer would help him or her to understand today exactly what you are teaching us through the Word of God. Speak, Father, to us through your Word, which is alive, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Finally, what an interesting word. The adjective shows a major transition as it did back in 1 Thessalonians 4.1. You could actually say here, now for the rest. <laughs> That's the concept here. We have completed our study on the end times in 2 Thessalonians from 1.1 all the way through to chapter 2 and verse 12. And now we are transitioning to secondary but most important matters. Paul, with a touch of warmth, addresses them as brethren, those from the same womb. And then the command, pray for us. By the way, the word prayer here is emphatically placed in the Greek sentence, but pray for us. I'm commanding you, pray for me, for Silas, and for Timothy. 
Back in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 25, brethren, pray for us. And by the way, Paul regularly prayed for the Thessalonians. That's 2 Thessalonians 1, 11. And let me ask you this question. Could the greatness of the Apostle Paul be tied together, not only with that he prayed for others, but he had an enormous prayer team making supplication before the Lord for him. So, brethren, pray for us in the purpose that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. Word of the Lord, a technical expression from the Old Testament. For instance, in Genesis 15, in verse 1, the word of the Lord comes to Abram. Uh, the same thing uh, occurs in Jonah 1.1 with God speaking to him. The Greek words used here, logos to cure you, uh, occur 12 times in the Greek New Testament. And it's speaking directly of the word that comes from the Lord. Now, in this beginning verse, Paul is desiring that the gospel of Jesus Christ reaches many. This is what he desires because of the word, may it run. The word of God doesn't have legs. Obviously, he's using some kind of metaphor here. It's not as if when we read with the same Greek term of Peter running to the tomb in Luke 24 and verse 12. Here it's figuratively of the Christian race. For instance, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, let us run. And perhaps the Apostle Paul might be thinking of the particular verse in Psalm 147, verse 15. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. Paul longed for God's word to flourish, for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go everywhere. He desires this, that the Lord be what? Glorified. Glorified has the concept of having a high opinion of. And when God's word goes out, invades a soul, saves the soul, that person is forever changed. And when people see the change, they glorify the Lord. Uh, as Paul writes uh, to the Galatian saints in Galatians chapter 1, he's given a little history lesson about himself that the Lord Jesus was the one who called him directly, that he was the genuine deal, an apostle. But he spoke about the churches of Judea who had not yet seen his face. And this is what he writes, Galatians 1, 23 and 24. But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. They all knew that Paul was the persecutor of the church, but now he had come to Christ. And what were they doing? Because of the change of life, they glorified the Lord. So Paul is desirous here that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. And I love this. 
what he adds here. Just as it is with you. These individuals embraced the word of God. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, Paul wrote, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. Paul went to Thessalonica, boldly preached Christ, and they turned from idols to the living God. The word of God had taken root. It had run swiftly, affected change, which brings glory to God. Verse 2. And that, and here's another purpose statement, we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. The verb uh, delivered is quite interesting. It means to drag along the ground in order to extricate, to set free, to deliver from danger. Uh, Paul knew something about deliverance, had he not? <laughs> Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Like Galatians, Paul has to defend his apostleship. And in 2 Corinthians 1.10, no better way to show that you're at a genuine article that when you suffer persecution, when you have imminent threats upon your life, that you still serve the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 1.10, speaking of God, who delivered us, that's that same Greek verb, delivered us, and here it's a past tense verb. In the past, God delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us. Present tense verb. He's continually delivering us in whom we trust that he will still, future tense verbs, deliver us. You got to love it. Paul says that God had delivered me in the past. I was on death's doorstep and the Almighty reached down and saved me. Even now he's delivering me and I know because of these things he will do so in the future. Back to Second Thessalonians. Chapter 3, Paul desires to be delivered from whom? Unreasonable and wicked men. Unreasonable. Interesting. People that just reject the teachings of Scripture. Those that we would call hard-headed and hard-hearted to the things of the Lord. Unreasonable, but then also wicked. Wicked in both a moral and physical sense. The term occurs in Acts 17, 5. Paul there had experienced persecution as other of the saints did at Thessalonica. But the Jews, becoming envious, took some of the evil men, the word evil, same term, attacked the house of Jason. So we see Paul's desire through prayer is that these saints would be protected from those that are unreasonable and wicked. And he ends here in verse 2, for not all have faith. Back in chapter 2 of this same book, in verse 10, we learned about those who did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Those individuals that persecute the saints, 
So not all folks have faith. First point, seek prayer for the gospel's proliferation and your protection. Seek prayer for the gospel's proliferation and your protection. You really need to depend upon the Lord, the only one that can deliver you from unreasonable and wicked people. You need to also trust in the Lord that as the word goes out, it's going to change lives deeply so that the Lord of glory may be glorified. Number two, trust Jesus to spiritually ground the saints while protecting them from Satan. Trust Jesus to spiritually ground the saints while protecting them from Satan. This is verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. Notice the word faithful. Very interesting when my Greek text is sitting on my desk and you look at verse 2. The last word in verse 2 was the word faith, but about those who did not have faith. But what's the first word placed emphatically in verse 3? Faithful. Why? The emphasis now is showing the contrast that although these individuals are faithless, our God is faithful. And we need to remember we can trust in him repeatedly. In the New Testament, we have the expression that God is faithful. In uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, as Paul addresses the Corinthians, God is faithful. And then when it comes to the trials and temptations of life, how do we know God will deliver us? Once again, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful. And then in 2 Corinthians 1, 18, concerning the word of God and his promises, God is faithful faithful. Paul continues here, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. First of all, in the future, because it's a future tense verb, he will establish you to make you stand. Not only will he give you the ability to stand firm in the faith, but he will guard you. The term guard was used uh, throughout the New Testament of those being kept in prison, as Paul had experienced in Acts 23. He knew what it was like to be kept in Herod's praetorium. And then at the end of the book of Acts, Acts 28, verse 16, uh, he was with the soldiers who kept him. So God will establish you, uh, by the way, which speaks of an inner stability, <laughs> In your spirit, he will give you the courage you need to stand. But then externally, he will also protect you. So I love Paul's choice of words here. He will establish you internally and then protect you externally. It's only the Lord who can do this. Why? Because it's from the evil one. The whole world lies under the sway or the control of the wicked one. Satan is called the prince of this world. So who else than the Lord can protect us from the wicked one? So point number one, seek prayer for the gospel's proliferation and your protection. Number two, trust Jesus to spiritually ground the saints while protecting them from Satan. And in number three, trust the Lord for the saints' growth, guidance, and steadfastness. Now down to verse four. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning 
you. The word and shows a transition. It's to build upon the Lord's faithfulness in verse 3, what we have here. What do we have? Confidence. The perfect tense verb, a completed action in the past with the results continuing means to be persuaded. Paul says, and we have a persuasion or a confidence here in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. I love this. Where is Paul's confidence that the Thessalonians will be cared for? It's in the Lord. Paul has a confidence. See, his faith is in the Lord, the one who put the Thessalonians on this Christian journey, the author, but what else is Jesus? He's the finisher of our faith. We can have a confidence that the one who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Both that you do, see presently, that's a present tense verb, and will do in the future the things we command you. May I ask you, child of God, are you under the authority of those in leadership in your local church? It's such an important concept. Peter writes to fellow shepherds in 1 Peter chapter 5 as one that is in the ministry himself, who understood the importance of being under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then basically tells the saints that they need to submit, the younger need to submit themselves to whom? The elders. They need to wrap themselves with humility and get under the leadership of the church. In Hebrews thirteen seven and 17, we see the importance of being under those who teach us the word of God. Paul has a confidence that these saints are doing and will continue to do what they are taught. You will do well, child of God, when you have a biblically grounded shepherd to follow him as he teaches you the word, to get behind him and give him support. Because this is what the saints are called to do. Paul is telling them they need to do this because he says here that you do and will do the things we command you. And by the way, this is setting the stage for the final section in 2 Thessalonians where they will get numerous commands. So he says it's very important that you continue to do these things. Verse 5. Now may the Lord... Direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Direct, direct. It's a strong direction. The prepositions affixed to the verb, making it strengthened. So the direction here is a strong direction or guidance. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ, your hearts. Why is it? that we have to trust the Lord to do this. Well, we know from Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful. We know that Satan as well seeks to influence believers as he had done with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. So we have to trust the Lord to move in the hearts of his children in order to protect them. And now notice the double use of into. Uh, Into what? The love 
of God. Now, let's just slow down and think about this for a moment. Because when you see here the love of God, it can be a subjective genitive. God's love. It's the love that God is exhibiting. Or it can be an objective genitive, which would mean your love. See, God is the object for God. Your love for God. What I believe is going on here is what we would call a plenary genitive. Believer is directed to the love of God, which motivates him to love. That makes sense. And then you have the same structure with the patience of Christ. By the way, the word patience comes from hupa, which means under, and meno, to remain, to remain under, of Christ, can again be a subjective genitive, Christ's steadfastness. Or it can be an objective genitive, the steadfastness for Christ, or I believe here, most likely, it's a plenary genitive. The believer is guided towards steadfastness of Christ, which motivates him to be steadfast. Because isn't it true that when we're focused upon the love that God has for us and his faithfulness, his steadfastness, that we then are strengthened to love others and to carry on for the cause of Christ. This is what we have before us. And Paul longs for these believers to continue to thrive in their Christian faith. So as we've unpacked five verses, what have we learned? Number one, seek prayer for the gospel's proliferation and your protection. Would you pray for pastors? Would you pray for evangelists? Would you pray for missionaries that God would take the word that they're speaking and go far beyond anything they've ever imagined? Our God can do that. We could be in chains, but Paul even says elsewhere, the word of God cannot be bound. It runs swiftly. So let's have faith that God wants to use that word through weak individuals like us to reach the world. But as you are praying for the gospel's proliferation spreading, but also for the protection of the saints. We have an adversary. He would kill us if he could. He seeks to thwart anything we do for God He has his own army, the spiritual mafia. We call them demons. And Satan works real hard at trying to throw us off the Christian course. So we need to pray. Number two, trust Jesus to spiritually ground the saints while protecting them from Satan. Where is your confidence concerning the people you're ministering to? In whom do you trust that those individuals will be grounded in the faith. Our, our hope, our trust, our faith must be in the Lord and not even that person. We can trust certain people. Paul certainly trusted Timothy, dispatched him to Corinth. He could trust others like Titus to appoint elders. But ultimately, we have to have a confidence in the Lord. That's faith. Faith that the Lord will continue and bring fruit in the lives of those that we are discipling. Our confidence, our faith, our reliance must be upon 
the Lord. But also, again, it must be upon the Lord to protect them from Satan. Satan is powerful. Even the archangel Michael would not bring a reviling accusation against Satan, but said what? The Lord, the power of the Lord rebuke you. We need to trust the Lord to protect those we're shepherding from the wicked one. And finally, trust the Lord for the saints' growth, guidance, and steadfastness. Trust the Lord for the saints' growth, guidance, and steadfastness. It's easy to get discouraged in a Christian life. Paul got discouraged at times over certain of the saints. Some broke his heart. Someone like Demas left the ministry, abandoned Paul. Others at times, like the Corinthians, were living like the world. The Galatian saints were being enticed to go back to the things of the law. Wow, that'll break a pastor's heart. It did with Paul. So we have to ultimately trust the Lord because he's the one who has deposited the Spirit of God within that individual, that he will bring about the growth that is necessary for that person to not only survive, but thrive in his or her Christian life and to give guidance. Every person needs God's guidance. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And when you see the expression to be led by the Spirit of God, it's in the context of from temptation to victory. But yet we need God's guidance in every facet of our lives. So we have to turn to him to give the guidance to the individuals we're training. And then also to make them steadfast. You have the world, this world system, the flesh, what we've inherited from Adam, and then the devil, after constantly the saint, to shipwreck that individual to move that person away from the things of the Lord to the things of the world. It's a constant struggle. It's before us. Therefore, how is any saint going to be steadfast? We have to have a confidence that the Lord will help that person to have the spiritual endurance to press on and like Paul himself to finish the race, to complete the mission that the Almighty has given. May the Lord help us to put these three employment points into action. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We marvel at the depth of the Word of God, the riches that we find, how Paul could write guided by the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago to saints in a particular church, and yet those words live today, and we see how true they are. Help us to take these three application points and make them our own so we can please you, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. <music> 